This podcast is brought to you by the School of Security Studies at King's College London. Hello, welcome to the War Studies podcast with me, Sam Martin. On this week's podcast, you'll hear a discussion we convened to coincide with LGBT Month and Pride in London. Between Jamie Hagan, the Visiting Fellow of the Centre for Women, Peace and Security at the LSE, and Amanda Chisholm, Senior Lecturer in Security Studies here at King's. I hope you enjoy. All right, so um, I want to thank you, Jamie, for joining us today at the School of Security Studies uh, podcast and talking to us about your research and the importance of queer theory and LGBT politics and broader understanding, you know, global security and global security research mm -hmm. agendas. I wonder if we could just start off with um, maybe you introducing um, how your entry point into understanding global security mm -hmm. and um, your uh, forthcoming book that's coming out. We could talk a bit about that first. Sure. So uh, my research agenda research project is Queering Women, Peace and Security. So I learned about women, peace and security from the side of civil society. I learned about uh, the way that these set of resolutions, the first being uh, UN Security Council Resolution 1325, uh, passed in 2000, I learned about the way that these resolutions were really being used as a tool to talk about how gender matters in international security. Mm -hmm. So I had the advantage of seeing the way that the resolutions were really being implemented, and in doing so, that uh, raised what I see as a gap because there's this really incredible work to draw attention to a gender perspective in peace and security, to ask questions about how women experience conflict and what it means to really include women in peace building work. But there was a slippage that was occurring between gender and women where right. women ended up meaning heterosexual women. Mm -hmm. And there certainly hasn't been, what I've seen, any analysis of this privilege or attention to the assumptions, the, the dangerous assumptions that can come with uh, heteronormativity and cis privilege. So uh, I've been asking questions about which women are these resolutions for? And is this intentional or is this uh, an accidental uh, absence that's happening with, uh, because the resolutions do not actually say LGBTQ, they do not explicitly talk about sexual orientation and gender identity. I, did, I have seen my work as an investigation into are women peace and security actors uh, open to having queer uh, organizations be a part of this peace building work? Do they see that as part of the initiatives that they're uh, promoting in conflict and post-conflict? And through the interviews I've done, I've found that for the most part, the slippage is not intentional. People are, there's, there's arguments about how gender's too complicated and therefore it ends up defaulting to this sort of heterosexual woman in, in policy. And when I've talked about what that can mean for excluding lesbian, bisexual, and transgender women, people are often, they hadn't thought about that. Right. So, which to me says that, okay, this means that there's a possibility that, there's, that they're open to including LGBTQ organizations. But there's also a lack of knowledge about what to do with that, which says to me that there's a real divide from the ongoing work at the international level with LGBTQ human rights. I mean, we've had lots of work uh, for decades, but really the past couple of years with uh, an independent expert on LGBTQ issues 
and with Outright Action International and the work that they've been doing, certainly these are just these are just a couple of examples right. of the space for having this conversation. So, but in terms of the, the literature that I'm working with in, in doing Career in Women, Peace and Security, uh, there's, fortunately I, I've started doing this work with you know, a decade and a half of feminist security studies uh, work already asking questions about how women experience uh, the world differently, really. And then, you know, coming up on 20 years of work on women, peace, and security, uh, I'm part of a, a generation of scholars who are critically asking what it looks like to implement these resolutions now. So we've, we've fortunately, for the most part, hopefully don't have to spend as much time defending the need to take this seriously. Right. If we're in a space where it's already taken seriously, how do we want to be more critical about uh, who, which women we're bringing? Because women are right. not actually homogenous, right? Yeah. Um, so which women are included? And also, there is queer IR literature, mm -hmm. and the fact that uh, Cynthia Weber published this, you know, queering uh, international relations book in 2016, I've really been able to uh, build on that theory, and and it is, I would say that that my work is abridging, but it's also, I think, important to recognize that bringing together different literatures, uh, having an intention towards intersectionality it's not always a positive progress. There's tension that comes with that. Right. So that's something that uh, throughout my work uh, the past five, six years, I initially really did describe it as like my work is bridging. It's bridging LGBTQ yep. and uh, feminist security studies and using queer international relations as a way to do that. But now, and increasingly when I present my work, inevitably there's people in the audience who will say, but what if queer people don't want to be a part of this Women, Peace, and Security project? Mm -hmm. So, and I think that that the looking at Pride Month as whether or not it's it's um, you know a celebration or a revolt, I think you see these similar tensions where, right. depending on your uh, class, race, you know, identity, you're going to have a very different uh, feeling about what it means to what whether or not inclusion is actually appealing or not. So. Right. Yeah, so in terms of with the book, I, I am looking at queer theory as a way to, to what, what that asks, what, what that requires in terms of revisiting women, peace, and security as a, as a policy example of a queer theory. But inevitably, I think that looking at inclusion as one project, like, like I said, but actually interrogating what a queering of the, of the women, peace, and security architecture is, is, is perhaps a more challenging and impossible to resolve uh, aspect of my research that I'm, that I'm looking at right now. Yeah, I mean, I like how you put, you know, the, the contradictions and tensions because I, I think what, you know, feminist IR research has taught us in the last, um, you know, decades is that often through these contentions, there's a lot of growth, a lot of intellectual growth and development, right. and it's not necessarily the objective to smooth mm -hmm. the politics over, mm -hmm. but, but keep those tensions as a space of self-reflection, right. uh, right. productive kind of spaces, right? right. Um, I'm just wondering if we can back up a little bit. And for people who aren't overly familiar with queer IR, can you tell us, uh, for you, what do you find um, uh, the key differences or complements are mm -hmm. with, say, feminist research, feminist mm -hmm. IR research? So I, for me, the most exciting part about it is taking sexuality seriously as right. a lens of understanding power in politics. So there's that, but also letting LGBTQ people be a center okay. and, and not just 
um, yes, there's aspects of understanding how queer people are marginalized, but queer people have their, we have our own communities, mm -hmm. own forms of power and politics as well. So I think uh, taking that up seriously and also allowing that and really, uh, it requires a reframing of what actually, I think it actually requires reframing what international relations is. Okay. <laughs> and, in the, in, and I do think that Feminist IR has also uh, done that in terms of who's this scholarship for. You know, if, yeah. I'm, if I'm teaching a class and I haven't talked about LGBTQ people at all, then I'm certainly missing people who are in the classroom. And so I, I think of I, a, the queer IR literature I draw on, I see as recognizing the existence of queer communities around the world, mm -hmm. which is actually new, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that even in my work, I've had people argue that queer people don't exist in some of the communities that are implementing women, peace, and security projects. You know, there, there's all kinds of really interesting theoretical contributions to, for example, uh, looking at borders and thinking through sovereignty and, yeah. and thinking through citizenship through queer IR, mm -hmm. which is very compelling and um, I, I do find that interesting, but also just having a literature that's taken seriously that talks about queer people as having lives that matter yeah. is a really <laughs> valuable contribution. Political speaking subjects, right? Right, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. Not and, and also recognizing transphobic and homophobic violence it, it, coming back to the women, peace, and security aspect, because yeah. there has been so much attention on sexual and gender-based violence, and it, uh, you know, often does fall into uh, assuming that women are the victims, right. and uh, and I haven't really seen uh, any. There's just not data about whether or not queer people are being targeted, and. Right and whether or not sexual orientation and gender identity is a part of this violence. And uh, I do think it's complicated to think through how one would ask those questions and whether or not it's even uh, possible to, but at the very least, to me, if you're doing this work now, you need to be at least telling, telling us whether or not you're, you tried to ask those questions or you right. thought it was appropriate. I mean, it's, it's a part of the work of doing a gender analysis. Yeah. So. Um, I think that's 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 a step that's really really missing in a lot of this work on uh, responding to sexual and gender based violence. So Jamie, that's really interesting the way that you talk about you know um, queer perspectives on women, peace, and security. Not only you know as kind of a theoretical question and a methodological question, but one that really locates these communities, right? These LGBTQI communities mm -hmm. brings them into focus, and then that actually challenges how we think about sexual violence, mm -hmm. who are the perpetrators, who are the victims, and really destabilizes this broader narrative around who we protect and who we mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, consider the perpetrators, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. um, and this just reminds me you know, of a lot of um, violence that's happening local, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. here, not just the women, peace and security where we consider happening over there, but right. the, the, you right. know, the, the violence on trans bodies and on LGBTQI mm -hmm. um, populations that are happening here um, within these broader debates of gender as an ideology free speech discussion mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. you know, trans bodies matter, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of mm -hmm. um, false debates. Can, can you talk anything about that or your reflections right. on that? Yeah, I do think that uh, taking queer IR literature 
seriously teaching queer AR as something that's part of international relations and not something that's at the end of your syllabus is one way to uh, make it clear that this is actually something that is uh, an important component of understanding how international relations uh, works in the world. Okay. But also, I think that the point you make about, and I think that conversations around what conflict actually is and when communities are at peace, looking at LGBTQ communities is really a powerful way to reframe that because actually those who are most marginalized and maybe criminalized by the state, even if a country is at peace, are certainly not, they may actually not experience a huge difference between these different stages of supposedly, you know, uh, conflict, post-conflict. So I, I think that's really understudied and something that would contribute to thinking through how, uh, again, how gender matters, but also uh, what, what the experiences these communities have in, in supposed, you know, uh, peace, but also I think the way that gender ideology has been taken up in in so many different contexts. You've seen it taken up in Brazil. You saw it taken mm -hmm. up in Colombia and even in the United States as a way to. It's a really powerful and convenient way for, uh, frankly, powerful white men to appeal to a tradition and and a certain form of power that is being unseated by uh, people of color and queer people saying, actually, you don't have this authority that you're laying claim to. And so I think that uh, there's all those elements of what it means to really center queer lives and take queer lives seriously. Also remembering that as you're teaching this, queer people are in your classroom, trans people yeah. are in your classroom. Um, and I think that by looking at the violence that does happen in supposedly countries that are supposedly at peace, the really high rates of um, violence against trans women of color, for example, right. it, it should make people uncomfortable to think through uh, what it means that some countries that are supposedly working to bring peace in other countries have not actually addressed significantly high rates of, of violence against uh, queer and trans people within their own, um, within their own communities. Mm -hmm. So I see this as something that is, it's clearly unsettling. It's unsettling people in, in academia in ways that uh, are, are really providing an opportunity for, as I see it, I think there's a real opportunity for those who are in a position of, of privilege to stand up and say trans lives are not up for debate. Yeah. <laughs> trans students are in the classroom. Trans students are, uh, it's not a question mark. <laughs> you know, students yeah. are, are um, telling their own stories, making clear what they need. And uh, so I think it's really uh, a moment for, for those in academia and those who are especially, because uh, with queer international relations, the work I do, I see it as you are, I am committed to the communities I'm, I'm writing about. It's not, and I do think that maybe feminist and queer work is different in this, in this sense from some other scholarship in that it's, there's all kinds of really interesting theoretical questions, as I said earlier, that you can think about with queer AR, but it's also about uh, what does it mean when this work comes out? Because um, there are people's lives who are very much um, in precarious situations. And so I think that that accountability in research, feminist practice and research is also true in the classroom. So right. I think that uh, there's a real need for uh, some 
more accountability from academia in that space. Yeah, so for you, what do you think it means to be um, a good educator who is trans aware in the classroom? What, what, what would that look like, do you think? Well, I do think that it will be context specific. I think fortunately campuses, we're at this moment where campuses have done a fair amount of work to at least hopefully support having an LGBTQ center yeah. on campus. So I think a good start is familiarizing yourself with who's doing what on campus. Right. Uh, I do think that uh, there's a need for allyship between students and faculty. Mm -hmm. So that's just the practical of being someone who's on campus that is, uh, you know, I already know that if I'm teaching queer AR, if I'm talking about LGBTQ international human rights, students are going to come out to me. You know, students right. may find that, and especially in the appeal to internationalize programs, you know, mm -hmm. you're looking at global security studies, that means you're gonna have students who may not have been, they may not have been in a space to have these conversations before. Right. So I think that there's, a, there's different levels to think through what supports you provide for the students yeah. and uh, what support that you have uh, within your own department. And so I think it, it is, you know, A, number one, like definitely teaching that queer lives, trans lives exist and allowing yes. them to, um, uh, to be, you know, part of a serious conversation about security, but also on the individual level, like what does yeah. it mean to be talking about these issues in, in a space where people may go through, uh, in some spaces, people may go through a whole program and really not have had LGBTQ issues LGBTQ communities talk about it all. So there's right. there's some sort of uh, responsibility that may come with being the person that is seen as uh, the, I don't know, well one, being a queer person on campus, that's something I think about, right. but also being the person who is an ally to, take, to talk about um, trans rights as human rights. Great, so Jamie, what I'm getting from your discussion of you know, what's important to be yeah, as an educator right, around um, queer trans politics is, is this broader of um, being aware um, that you know, one, trans communities exist, LGBT yeah. communities exist uh, in the classroom and that the classroom is actually a space that's not apolitical, mm -hmm. but laden with power relations, mm -hmm. right? And so to keep that in mind and being a reflective educator in, in how you facilitate classroom discussions, alongside with content, right, mm -hmm. is so important mm -hmm. in your module guides, your curriculum, to actually make visible these mm -hmm. communities mm -hmm. in the broader understandings of global security, right? Mm -hmm. Much like feminists, you know, as the core entry point is bringing women in and then right. moving beyond the ad right. women and stirring, right? right? right. Because that then often offers different empirical and methodological questions, mm -hmm. right? So similar to what feminists have tried to do with IR um, in broader curriculum, um, you know, do, that, uh, do those similar things w with queer mm -hmm. um, and trans kind of politics. Yeah, and also I think it's about allowing gender to remain complicated. Right. And again, I, I was motivated to this research from being involved with civil society organizations and of course, these, these spaces are really overstretched. You have one person doing all the gender work in some spaces, and yeah. people who really feel ill-equipped Ill to be the person who's also uh, addressing LGBTQ issues. And I mean, you could certainly make uh, a similar argument for the one person who's maybe teaching the feminist IR class, who's mm -hmm. then uh, supporting LGBTQ students. So I think uh, 
that the shortcuts that some folks have taken just really don't work and I don't think it works for the students and it doesn't end up working for the organizations that are trying to do the gender work. So I think recognizing it's okay not to know how to address all of it yourself, to really insist on allyship and reach out for support and in the cases of uh, the, the people that I've worked with in Women, Peace and Security, I think it's really important to know who in different LGBTQ organizations right. to work with because uh, and so in that sense, I do see my work as being about bridging communities because there are these organizations and individuals who've been working through national, regional, international spaces to uh, make arguments about uh, this, the security of LGBTQ people, whether or not mm -hmm. it's seen as queer security work. I mean, right. this is going on. So I think it's about um, as soon as there is uh, a recognition that maybe I'm not able to support these individuals in the way that I would like to, knowing who to then reach out to and right. to be able to do that work with uh, and support. Because there's a lot to be said for being, again, in the position of power or being uh, you know, a cis white feminist who's a, either mm -hmm. in a policy organization or you know, in an academic institution to say, okay, I don't know how to support this person, but I can reach out and find ways to do that. And so uh, my hope is that in the work that I'm doing, I'm, I'm helping people to understand how to better do that. And I'm, yeah. I'm working to do that in uh, women, peace and security specifically, but really in security studies more broadly. I think, I mean, your work for me, um, and I think the broader feminist security studies uh, community is invaluable for the reasons you just mentioned. So myself as, you know, a cis feminist ally that's teaching at war studies in the broader security of, uh, school of security studies, um, I, you know, am already well versed as a feminist mm -hmm. to, and a white feminist to acknowledge my privilege, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and that how and being uncomfortable and unsettled by that privilege right. and how that's such an important step, right? right. Um, but then, like you mentioned, there's also, I'm, I'm an ally, but I'm not part of the trans mm -hmm. community. I'm not um, you know, part of the LGBT community in that way. And so um, I do need um, mm -hmm. you know, to reach out to broader support, mm -hmm. right? And I think what I like about your work and your, your politics is that, um, changes, necessary changes mm -hmm. to have a more socially just, mm -hmm. you know, world, full, broadly speaking, but also a more inclusive um, and vibrant, um, you know, a higher education that mm -hmm. involves everyone and has, everyone has a say in voice, mm -hmm. requires the privileged mm -hmm. and the marginalized together to, to work often complicated, right, in, right? right. but yeah. um, in, in a space, in a, you know, together, and I guess it's mm -hmm. finding those pathways. So yes, yeah, solidarity from, uh, from faculty, from you know, organizations like the International Studies Association has an LGBTQA caucus. I mean, that's right. a place where students can go and have mentorship and uh, become active in international relations and security studies, and I think the fact that um, Individual, individual faculty members are, are doing that work and also there are you know, security studies organizations and institutions that are taking that up seriously, really changes the possibility for uh, this work to be done. I mean, yeah. there's actually an opening up and a space to uh, publish this work. You know, mm -hmm. like I feel very fortunate that I, I came into the academy at a point where I was able to publish talking about LGBTQ people right. and transphobia as being something that needs to be looked at. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I think we're at a moment where 
there's more people using queer international relations. I mean, we have to remember that there's decades of scholarship in queer and trans uh, studies that are outside Absolutely. of international relations. Yeah. But we're at this exciting time where, okay, so if we are gonna take this seriously as part of security studies and international relations, what does this look like? Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm, I, I'm glad I'm here to be a part of that conversation because as I said, I'm committed to having this be about queer lives, and right. and so I think it'll be uh, interesting to see what directions queer international relations can take, uh, mm -hmm. security studies, and really uh, work with feminist scholarship to continue to ask uh, queer questions uh, yeah. in international relations. Absolutely, I'm excited to be a part of this debate too, and perhaps we can revisit this in a couple years' time and yes. see where we are. Definitely. Right? Yeah. Definitely. Thank you for listening to this edition of the War Studies Podcast. For more information about the School of Security Studies, visit kcl.ac.uk forward slash security studies.